Welcome to the 90s Kid Book Club podcast where we indulge in nostalgia, dust off our favorite books from growing up, and discuss how they shaped a generation. I'm Monica. And I'm Amy. And we are not scholars, authors, historians. We're just two 90s kids who love talking about it with each other and now with you. So welcome to 90s Kid Book Club. Hey, Amy. Hey, Monica. Thank you for being here with walking pneumonia. Right. <laughs> but you're also all stuffy, so I yeah, feel like we're it's, just... <laughs> it's just that season. But s- listeners may have heard some stuffiness in Amy's voice last week. She didn't know she had walking pneumonia, so <laughs> now we're wiser. We know you're on meds. I didn't didn't find out till the next day, but they gave me um, steroids, antibiotics, an inhaler. Oh, gosh. Cough syrup. Yeah, you're good. They, they gave me the whole kit in caboodle, but um, the steroids end today, so I'm really looking okay. forward to being able to sleep again. Yeah. Because they have just kicked my ass. And I not being sweaty okay. and angry all the time. That's what oh, it does to me. <laughs> I couldn't think of the show 30 Rock the other day. Blaine uh-huh. and I were sitting there talking about Tina Fey. And I was like, yeah, she was in that one show. And Blaine just kept saying SNL. And I was like, no, not SNL. And I was getting so angry about it. I couldn't think of 30 Rock. Oh. Um, but I blame the I blame Royd Rage, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would. <laughs> I would if I could. Oh my gosh. Anyways, we've got a jam-packed day today. Yeah, we really do. Um, So let's jump right into it. Um, Our book for this month um, is 90s Bitch by Allison Yero, published in 2018. For those of you who remember, we decided on a book exchange Christmas present for each other this year. So this was my gift to Amy. And I just want to go ahead and say I'm sorry because it is so dense. It's so intense. It took both of us so long to read. It's not just like a light, fun read. It's this sociological research article, basically. So I think it was worth reading, but it was a lot to get through. You can't apologize yet because you haven't read either of the books that I got you. True. And they both could be absolutely horrible. True. I don't know. So That's true. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see. If yours if the problem with yours was just that it was filled with facts, that's eh, not yeah. the worst thing. Right. True. <laughs> So our author, Allison Yero, is actually Georgia-born and raised in Macon, Georgia, which you lived in Macon for a while, didn't you? Or your mom did? Um, so I never never lived in Macon, but my mom lived in Warner Robins, which is not far right. from Macon. Okay, okay. Um, but we got Ruka, my dog, from Macon. Oh, really? From Macon Animal Control is where she Aww. came from. Yeah, that little angel was hidden Aww. in Macon Animal Control. Yeah, for um, people who aren't familiar with Georgia, Macon is like smack dab middle of the state. Um and it is like a pretty rural area, but Macon is like the city, so mm-hmm. to speak, of that rural area. But it is by no means a city like no. like Boston or Atlanta or anything like that. It's just a more populated area. Yeah, and we – so Amy and I met in, in college and in school, and our school was in a very, very rural small town. Yes, like all about that's 30 there, minutes from Macon. Right. All that's there is yeah. the college. So when people wanted to, like, go to the city, they would go to Macon, which, yeah, like you said, is not really that. Not hopping, <laughs> but more so. I would go so. to Popeye's. We would drive oh, 30 minutes really? for Popeye's because we didn't have one in our college town. And so Blaine and I would hop in the oh car and drive 30 minutes to go get fried chicken nice okay. like chain food fried chicken too yeah. and you're in the south like you can go get some <laughs> exactly. better fried chicken i'm sure there was some yeah hole in the wall better fried chicken but we in were Milledgeville. broke too you know yeah. college kids so <laughs> so allison is uh she's a georgia native but currently lives in brooklyn with her husband she has three children so she's a mother of three um, and her writing history um, is this book, which was her first book, 90s Bitch. Um, but most recently, she's published a book called Birth Control. 
subtitle, The Insidious Power of Men Over Motherhood. And she champions that home births should be more accepted and allowable and claims that um, childbirth in in general is a male-dominated industry that prioritizes Mm -hmm. control over women's autonomy. So she has been making the rounds with this most recent book um, on tons of podcasts. She did a TED talk called What to Expect Post Expecting. She's appeared on Fertility Friday, which is a podcast, Get Naked, which is a podcast in the Brian Lehrer show. So she's traditionally a journalist and her work has appeared in the New York Times, Washington Post, Vox, Insider, USA Today, Time, and Newsweek. So she is prolific as a journalist and has now started publishing books, um, mainly focused on women, gender equality, gender politics, and the power that women can have or don't have in our society. So um, she has actually appeared in People magazine as saying that she breastfeeds her four-year-old son still and (laughs) has no plans to stop and says that it works for them. So I think generally her view is like, hey, whatever works, do it. Like, let's take this stigma of motherhood, of birthing, of postpartum away from this industry and from women's experiences. And she's like, hey, if it works for us, like no one else can really say anything, which I do agree with of like we the point of feminism is that we should have a choice. Like, let's take this pressure away and expectations off of women to be able to have the freedom and empowerment to make the choices that they want to make for themselves and their families. So if that's what she wants to do, go for it. I currently have a four-year-old and cannot imagine breastfeeding a four-year-old, but if it works for them, (laughs) go for it. So I I agree and I think it I think what's really funny is that we've gotten this far in today's podcast without using the word feminism or feminist right. until just now um because that is pretty much the stance that I got about the author is that she is a very strong feminist um which I don't see any problem with I I mean I'm a woman I feel very strongly for women's rights and equality as well but I have never identified with the word or term feminist I think it's because of the negativity that's been tied yeah. to that word over totally. time yeah. and I've had to dissect that while going through this book too Yeah me too even yeah. Taylor Swift I used to dog on Taylor Swift because she publicly claim out, came out and claimed she was not a feminist Mhm and I was mm-hmm. like, how is that possible? How is that possible? But I think it's the term. Man. It's the term. We put all these, we put all these, and I do have a comment about that later, like when we get into the book as well, um, just about terms and yeah. like the di- various meanings that are tied to these different words and how that has made it really difficult in, I in like self-identity and Mm -hmm. and finding yourself because like these words that really have so many different meanings could apply they don't anymore because of social stigma or whatever yeah yeah it's similar to i mean our education in the field of psychology talked a lot about labels and how a diagnosis Mm -hmm. can be a label and that exactly does have some sort of stigma tied to it but it can also be really empowering that people are like oh there is this classification of symptoms that finally describes what I'm going through and nothing else that I've been explaining or sharing or identifying with really represented what I'm going through. So it can be really empowering and uplifting to have these labels of like, I am this or like, I associate myself with this way of thinking. But that's why they tell therapists like from the get go that diagnoses really aren't the important thing. Exactly. That and that you should only share that information if it's a benefit to the patient, right. to your client. And that's where like last our last, you know, episode we talked a lot about or I talked a lot about <laughs> misinformation on social media in regards to mental health. It's because we're taught regularly that you don't you don't disclose these labels, these terms, or any of this unless it's of benefit to the patient. Mm-hmm. By putting it on social media, you're assuming that it's beneficial for everyone. Right. And it's not. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of harm that can be done with that. 
Yeah, so, and yeah, I think anyways. that's I think that's part of why women rejected the term feminism for so yeah. long, at least our generation, because you think of feminism and it's like bra burning women in the 70s right. that didn't shave yeah. their legs. And it's it sounds more dramatic than it is, which is just like we should have the power and the rights and the autonomy to make our own decisions. And like, who cares if they're so <laughs> who cares if you shave your legs or not or your armpits or what your body hair is like, who cares? We touched on that, you know in our last episode yeah. too a little bit and like all of the pressures with it. And we will get into that again um, as we get through this book because there are a lot of things that I've realized I have rejected in mainstream media in terms of pressures on women. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of the things that I've rejected were brought up in this book. Hmm. Like an example would be like Victoria's Secret. yeah thongs and things like that I don't wear underwear anymore I will not it's it's (laughs) it doesn't work with my body it doesn't work with me Mm -hmm. it's a pressure that's only put on women nobody's telling Blaine he has to wear a a piece (laughs) of string up his ass nobody's saying that you know so um those are you know just small things that I've rejected um so we'll get into that too (laughs) so the author was a fellow 90s kid So she admits to reading Babysitter's Club, Sweet Valley High books. She loved her 90s childhood, but was shocked when she revisited some of the the spaces in which women held in the 90s and how ingrained misogyny and Mm -hmm. power dynamics and gender expectations have become rooted in some of the things that happened in the 90s. And so really she's like, To see where we're at of the Me Too movement, of Donald Trump Mm -hmm. and some of his comments, of um, women becoming more powerful in our society in general, you have to kind of look at the past and figure out what has shaped our understanding and acceptance of that or rejection of that. And that's really kind of the goal here with this book is it's 12 chapters in total. It's a mix of interviews, statistics, and quotes. She covers what she defines as bitchification. So she said that that's really just how society has reduced women. Specifically in the media, her book covers a lot of what happened in the 90s to any woman who reached that 24-hour news cycle. So there's an uptick in news coverage, the availability of news, and therefore space to fill. Women filled that space. And how they were portrayed in the media can be a really important kind of look back into where we are now and what our views of women like Marsha Clark, she was involved in the O.J. Simpson case, Monica Lewinsky, Hillary Clinton, these women who had a big, a big piece in the media coverage, but none of it was positive. I don't look back and think of... Monica Lewinsky as a positive role model, which was really difficult being a Monica in the 90s. So many people would jokingly call me Monica Lewinsky or make sex jokes about Monica Lewinsky. And it's like not something I'm proud of or like look up to. And she was a, a powerful female character. She worked her way up in Washington, D.C., ended up in the White House at a really young age. Like, that should be something to look up to. And the fact that she wasn't embarrassed. they painted her as a whore. They painted her as a whore, though. That was kind of my issue with looking back on it and reading through it and kind of, like, retelling the story. Um, As, you know, you're reading the book, it's basically retelling the story. Um, They... They they made her into a whore. It it didn't, she made a statement um, and I quoted it um, where she, she had said in an interview that she doesn't have the feelings of self-worth that a woman should have. And I sat there and I was like, well, I bet she did feel that way because the media painted her as a whore. And so now she has a character that she has now been, it's been like just pushed on, on her, her. Yeah. yeah and she was being shamed left and right she's being told that she has to like sex because she was sexually assaulted in a position of 
in a position yeah. in our office that's like the highest the level of authority in the entire the country and we're not looking at the fact disgusting. that she was a low level what intern there's a yes. huge power dynamic there and we're going to yes. blame her for the fact that she had an affair with him didn't blame him he continue continued nope. on in his career yep. and i actually as crazy as this is looking back on my views on that situation have always felt a certain way towards Hillary for staying with him instead Same. of him they, for doing in this it. Book, yes. So in this book, they go from like the whole story of Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton, and then it transitions over to Hillary Clinton, and they start mm-hmm. speaking very, very positively of Hil- Hillary Clinton and all of the things that she's done for women in office. And yes, I'll give you all of those things. But I had the same, I had very similar really? thoughts. I was like, wait, I don't, I never as a kid in the 90s looked at Hillary Clinton and was like, she's the woman. Yeah. yeah. Like, no, I haven't. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I was like, like why would you stay with him? Same. But same. we and can't I always felt argue. Like it was a weird. Yeah. Dynamic. Weird power struggle going Absolutely. on there. I don't like it, man. It's yeah. Weird. So that, I think out of the entire book, that one really stuck with me the most because it was something that was so public and And we hit lived, me, I mean, I remembered right, that. Hit me yeah. at the it, right yeah. time. People yeah. made Monica Lewinsky jokes to me. Like, it was so personal. And then to have to dissect, like, wait, why did I feel this way about the women and have mm-hmm. no nothing negative on bill clinton about the situation it's like a joke it's like ha ha the blue dress ha ha but it's like uh, he took advantage of his power in that situation with a very well, then, young impressionable woman cheated on his wife and we're vilifying sexually the women assaulted an employee sexually assaulted an employee in front of the entire nation and our nation went around and and patted him on the back and made giving head a fad. Yeah. So much so <laughs> that the book goes into statistics of HIV, AIDS rates, um, gonorrhea, all the STDs. We had a massive increase of STDs in the 90s because we had a bunch of kids going around being shamed into being virgins. Yeah. But being told by our president that they can go around and give oral sex to each other other well no shit 80 percent of teens or it was like 18 to 25 year olds of our generation have hpv thank god they have a vaccine for that now i was so thrilled when they came out with that not that i was sexually promiscuous but like thank god it's just just one less thing to worry about you know (laughs) but that came right at the right time in my life because i got that at like 16 or 17 is when it came out Mm -hmm. and it was like perfect timing like right before you go to college before you know keep yourself safe got lucky there though too and clinton (laughs) incentivized abstinence only sex like sorry abstinence only sex education so the education that was happening in our school systems as there's an increase in the popularity of like oral sex for men not for women um but giving oral sex to men there was a huge increase in the spread of STIs, sex education wasn't happening or was abstinence only. We're really creating this very dangerous situation for millennials coming to the age of sexual, I don't know, maturity? Enlightenment? Yeah, 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 maturity. That's a good one. Yeah. (laughs) So the book talked a lot about how um, there's... A lot of sex education happened through like Seventeen magazine and like writing into oh my magazines, God, news articles. That? How did you have this moment when she's like listing out YM magazine, Seventeen magazine? Oh yeah, I had these flashbacks yes. of those. They were so big. My mom had Cosmopolitan. So and then I actually we had so many magazines in the house in the nineties that I actually was able to compare the years. And they reused the same topics every no way. year. Yes, they just recycle the covers, and they they will like maybe sprucing up a, an article from previous, huh. but like their quizzes and stuff, they reused all, the all of that every year. 
And I don't know about you, but Cosmo always seemed racier. Like Seventeen magazine was more like juvenile, and Cosmo was like, well, was "Oh, you don't know be. what you're it was getting supposed into." To be. Yeah, Cosmo you don't know was what supposed you're to be for into. like the adult women, and then Seventeen was supposed to like prep you for mm-hmm. Cosmo. Basically, it's like weird. I know. only really read them when I was getting my nails done, which I did get my nails done quite a lot. My mom was into it. Some of my friends were Same. into it in the nineties. Big, thick, chunky acrylic nails. Mm-hmm. Always pink or red. I never wore any other colors other than pink and red, which if you want to dissect that in accordance to <laughs> feminism, I had to follow Mine a certain French standard. French tips. Oh, Mine yes. Was, French tip, yeah. too. French, French tip, tips. yeah. Or maybe a little um, nicely placed flower. You remember all the little flower Ooh, art that they did in yes. the 90s? They've come a long way since then. Nail those artists. always cost, those were always a little bit more money yeah, though. So I, I always had I to like choose one or the other. Like like $5 was gonna right. be the make, make or, break or break that week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing what I know now, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so the author covers objectification theory, which explains why girls may have a harder time during puberty because they are being objectified and continuously bombarded with sexual images. And so a study said that about a third of kids at this time felt pressured to have sex for the first time, which if you're reading Seventeen magazine and all the advice is about sex stuff and normalizing sex stuff, which can be empowering, it's also a little bit pressuring, pressure, pressuring. Okay, we'll go with that word. Um, but also, uh, there was this surge of, like, celebrating male sexuality that was happening at the same time. When you think about, like, American Pie, the girls weren't really, like, empowered for the sex that they were having. It was all about the men and, like, well, what were girls they doing? Girls Gone Wild. Girls, girls Gone, gone wild, wild is what sums up, basically, the view of women at this time and the view of sexuality, like... Being sexual is a male trait. Women are basically supposed to be prudes. Um, they talk and about it at, and they're yeah, for the male exactly. Gaze. And yeah. they talk about it a lot in terms of like TV shows that were big at that time. Nine hundred two one zero. Pam Anderson. Pamela Anderson was a big person at that time. Um, Playboy Nicole, was huge. Anna Nicole Smith was a big mm-hmm. person at that time. All of these women are skinny, big-breasted, um, and famous for being bimbos. Yeah. I mean, that's where that term – I mean, that's where I learned that term from. Um, women were not – you know, if you – yeah. And uh, the author goes into detail about how that kind of bimbo stereotype was portrayed even in television – Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of talk about um, like living single, the Queen Latifah show that came yep. out in the 90s were powerful, working single women that were actually kind of put down for their men hating yeah. on the show. Um, and that show was attributed to the statistic that the average age of marriage actually went up two years following the airing of this show. So it kind of normalized these powerful single women who don't need men around. But that did not last. And what we saw over time in TV shows was a, a newer version of what we call a bimbo or the stereotype of a bimbo, which mm-hmm. is the adorable dope. So you're seeing more women who are just kind of like clueless, adorable, good to look at, but a little bit dopey, not the smartest. So characters like Allie McBeal, who some people argue is a feminist icon, some people argue that she was defined by her relationships and was a bit man crazy, even though she had a law degree. That was the focus of the show. But also people like all the women characters in that 70s show. Like every single one of them are adorable (laughs) dopes. Rachel from Friends. And it's these women who have like really stereotypical feminine jobs. It's working at a yogurt shop. It's um, working in retail, working. uh, Rachel worked in a coffee shop. It's like the stereotypical spaces for women. And then you're just kind of dumbing them down and making them nice to look at. So that's going to impact how we see women in their place in the world if that's what we're seeing on television. Absolutely. But I think also in the 90s, you know, they, well, they talk a lot about what we put in the media. Um, they, she, the author describes it as the human Barbie doll. 
Mm-hmm. And we talked about Barbie on the podcast, and we've talked about the image issues of Barbie and how we've tried to change that um, nowadays. And um, But I think it is important to note that it was coming at kids at all, I mean, coming at kids, period, period. We were putting this on children, um, putting these pressures that adult that are unhealthy for adult women. Mm-hmm. We're putting it, we were putting it on children. Um, so they normalize things like breast augmentation, nose jobs, um, in all of these shows as well. The author goes into that. Um, but I think what really got me was that I realized that isn't really better now. We've just kind of like reframed how we talk about it to make it feel better. But we're act, we've I don't feel that we've made much progress there. In fact, now I feel like it's even a little bit worse. We've plastic surgery has gotten worse. BBLs are a thing. Those are highly deadly. Those the were not really fat, removing yeah. all the mm-hmm. fat in your cheeks. Is Absolutely, a, a Botox. Botox. I have friends that have gotten Botox. We're thirty four. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I just think I just it, it's the pressure's there. Um, they talked a lot about the media, like in terms of Pamela Anderson and Anna Nicole Smith, but now we have an entire family called the Kardashians. Sorry to, I know we have, you know, there's fans out there of the family, but when you really get down to what they're famous for, the messages that they're sending women, um, you know, (laughs) Kim Kardashian's biggest label now is Skims. The, the purpose of it is women shoving their bodies yeah. in these things that are not, that's not an achievable body. That's not right. real. Um, so it, I feel like we've gotten worse, but we use different terms now that mm-hmm. are not as blatant. And so people are just like, oh, it's better. But I don't feel that it is. We've just chosen more flowery terms that make people feel better. But the pressure's yeah. still there. I even saw on TikTok, Sephora now, filled with 10-year-old girls that are using products that you and I wouldn't yeah. even buy. Yeah, yeah, th- that is that is dangerous. I've seen a lot of that on like TikTok and Instagram are like six, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds who are using yes. like the de-aging, anti-aging, anti-aging, yeah, anti-aging products. Yeah. It's like yeah. that's yeah. not even, it wouldn't work because there's nothing to work on. But also like what's the negative side effects of using these chemicals on your skin it doesn't make any sense. I don't get it. I, yeah, so I can't really feel like we've made progress. I just see that we've continuously tricked people through the media and we've almost recycled stuff. You know how the 90s is coming back? Mm-hmm. So now all of a sudden Kim Kardashian's decreasing her butt size. It's like almost are we going back to the Twiggy yeah, era? I think you know, we like are the super, super. And I think we are too. It's a yeah. repeat. It's the same thing. We It's not progress. Well, flowery terms. I think if you think about feminism being you have the choice, I think there is empowerment in if you choose that aesthetic and you choose that lifestyle for yourself and that makes you happy, go for it. I think pinpointing how it can be toxic is the pressure that women or young girls can feel to meet a certain stereotype. And I think for a while we were like, accept all bodies, all bodies are beautiful campaigns were starting to show variation in bodies. And I think, yeah, I'm I'm always on the lookout for that. Like, when's it gonna when's the tide gonna turn? When is it gonna shift? Because that heroin Mm -hmm. chic is so dangerous. And Allie McBeal came out and said that she or the I guess the actress who who played Allie McBeal came out and said that she had issues with eating disorders. Plenty of women had issues with eating disorders because of the pressure to look a certain way. There was a whole section in the book about eating disorders in the 90s and how these women in the 90s would never admit that they had these eating disorders, but they came out later in like the Mm -hmm. mid-2000s and they were saying they had these these issues. Go figure, no surprise. I mean... these people were skin and bones. You can't tell me. Yeah, that you that, didn't that's have. natural. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, and I think something that you're getting at too is um, thinking about Sephora and girls going and buying all the makeup. And like our generation, it was Victoria's Secret. Like every mm-hmm. single time I went to the mall, I mm-hmm. had to go to Victoria's Secret. I had to look at the cute new underwear. Um, yep. I wore ridiculous underwear that was so uncomfortable, but like, oh, it's so yep. cute. And I got it from Victoria's <laughs> Secret. And they give you like a free undie coupon in the mail and you have to go get it. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> but I think what you're getting at is 
that consumerism was pushed as the answer for women and girls in order to meet the expectations. So girls were promised this solution of like, well, if you don't have self-esteem, go out and buy it. You can buy cute underwear and that'll help you feel better about yourself. We're you can buy makeup from Sephora and turn into the, the woman that you want to be. Um, but then there was also like limited two and all of the young girl brands that were pushing this like shopping spree this will make you happy come buy all the clothes it's so cool the idea of shopping malls shopping malls were massive in the 90s all of that it's not anymore but we'd still get that fill online now it's Mm -hmm. just more convenient to sit on your couch and get it well and it's just pushed via instagram buy this this is cool you know tiktok shop yeah So um, what's interesting is the author calls out the fact that um, the the same the same kind of uh, news articles um, publications that are calling out Me Too uh, being a part of this Me Too yeah. movement, doing exposés, touting body positivity today, were the same news articles that were culpable in the '90s yes. for spreading the toxicity that now we're trying to overcome. And a lot of it ties back to that 24-hour news cycle. You've got to fill it with something. For some reason, women were targeted. They were put in these unfair positions. The only serious interest for women at this time was like weight loss, dieting, sexual activity, romance, etc. So Mm We're now kind of combating that and trying to come back from that. And I think going back to your point about like, I don't think it's any better. I think it's better in pockets of the internet. But I there's think, mainstream yeah. media, which is what the author is attacking of like the New Yorker and these same publications that are now still huge 20, 30 years later. How many? Yeah, 30 years later. Um, the same publications were the ones that were making the issue and now claiming that they are part of the solution. Well, we got to see, you know, not only what happened in the 90s, um, but now we also got to see the Me Too, Me Too movement and we got to see the backlash of it and the the amount of people that were wanting to hang on to this 90s view, so to speak, um, and not embrace uh, the Me Too movement. I definitely remember all of that going on and seeing a lot of people I knew on Facebook voicing negative opinions about the Me Too movement. Really? Um, absolutely. Absolutely. And in the media as well. Lots of different, it became a Republican Democrat issue mm. where Republicans were saying that the Me Too movement was not um, legit. Basically say like they trying to hang on to that 90s view of like women are, you know, they asked for it. Yeah. Blame the um, woman. That type. Yes. Yeah. Shaming and blaming. And um, so, yes, in a way, I think really the only difference is the Internet is that now instead of in the 90s, we didn't really have the Internet that wasn't really widely used. So we only got the opinions from magazines, newspapers, TV and right. movies. Yeah. Now we get the opinion of anyone and everyone in the country, out of the country, in your state, out of your state, the millions and billions of people's opinions Um, And so that's why I argue that I don't really feel like it's much better. We just have a platform for people that, you know, do fit that pocket to Mm -hmm. be and also the other pockets. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Because I I do want to believe in the 90s we still had women that, you know, would would be equivalent to our Me Too movement that still felt that way. Yeah. You know, it's just they didn't have a platform to use at that time. Well, and you, you have to think like the the term date rape didn't even exist. The mm-hmm. idea that Bill Clinton sexually assaulted an intern because wasn't even considered naturally by the power dynamic, it's already unfair. Like you you're already taking advantage. Yes. So these terms and these ideas didn't even exist back then. Things have gotten better in some ways and are the same in many others. And I think mm-hmm. having the terms, we talked about the importance of labels and identifying and understanding, and those terms can be helpful in kind of like 
understanding what happened, how it could have happened, what the power dynamics were, understanding and believing victims of sexual assault, no matter who they are, what their skin color is, what their gender is, etc. And Mm -hmm. I think something that's worth noting is (laughs) this was difficult. This period was difficult for women. But can you imagine being further marginalized by the color of your skin or being a part of the LGB, LG, the LGBTQ community. I actually thought about them throughout the entire book. Um, and she doesn't touch on it there much. Isn't, there isn't much on it at all. Um, she really doesn't talk about it at all. She talks about masculinity in women, mm-hmm. but I don't recall here seeing anything about, about LGBTQ community at all in the book. Um, I might have missed it, but I definitely don't remember a portion of it. It's just um, another factor to consider. Like, how much more complicated she, would all of this be if you were a woman and you were yes. black and you were gay? Then it's like well, every single have, card stacked against you. She did have an entire section dedicated to black women. And I definitely noted yes. that because I enjoyed that. I was happy she did that because mm-hmm. um, it did feel like a lot of it focused on white media. And yeah. Of course, in the 90s, that was what was being pushed. So we have gotten better there. Like, we definitely have more diversity in our media now um, in terms of body types, but also, like, skin color, ethnicity, you know, um, sexual orientation. We have lots of diversity now. So I guess we have, you know, I want to give credit there Mm -hmm. (laughs) if I can. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I definitely thought that throughout the book that – You know, she definitely, I feel, has an agenda in writing this book. Um, I read it kind of like a documentary where she had an agenda and she went back and picked apart history to fit the agenda, you know, the argument that she was trying to make. I think she makes the argument very well. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it also is like, it very much victimizes women. The, the narrative victimizes women. It makes us appear as victims in the 90s to the media, to society, to the government. Um, and I think you could definitely apply that to now. But I try to view things from more of like a power stance. And maybe that is my defense mechanism as a result of growing up in the 90s where these things were happening. Um, but... I like to take it more of like a being a power position versus a victim to society. Yeah. So. Well, and you think about how far we've come. I mean, women couldn't vote, had no control over their own like sexual rights, which we're kind of going backwards in that way. But still, (laughs) there, there is a lot of progress that's happened. And I think the victimization of women and what you're getting at is like almost not acknowledging that progress and there there is a portion of the book that acknowledges like the women in the 80s who were wearing power suits and gym shoes like they did the work they were in even worse situations so women in the 90s could be where they were where they were actually holding positions of power now they were villainized for it but they their people put in the work to make sure that women could hold these positions of power. I think anyone who holds the power will always feel threatened that it will go away. And so mm-hmm. straight white men in general, I'm not trying to like call anyone in spe- like specifically out, but I think that there are some bad people in the world who are making sure that they control all of the power decision making. They don't want women in these positions of power. They don't want people Mm -hmm. of color in the positions of power. And they're making it as difficult as possible, whether it was intentional or unintentional because of our own inbaked misogyny. I don't know. But well, I would almost argue that it's not even a issue of being male or female. It's an issue of being in power. Exactly. People that that strive to be in a position like that, Mm-hmm. I've always said that anybody who would want to be president of the United States has got to be a full-blown narcissist. Yes. Like it became it became a fad when Trump became president. Everybody yeah. was like, oh, he's a full-blown narcissist. And it's like, no, they all are. Yes. They all were. They That the is what we idolize in yeah. that position. And Trump was a great example. But I also feel that we regularly idolize the wrong people. I feel that way about... CEOs 
I feel oh, that way. Any CEO, it's like you have to have such confidence in like it is a delusion. It's yeah, putting absolutely. aside because yeah. to be successful, you have to do that. You it's have scary. to set it. It's gamey feeling. Ooh, it's and I'm like, thank like, God we have yes. those people or else no one else would do it. But yeah, I've always said like being a CEO, I, I don't want a position of power. I like being a manager just because I can mentor and grow other people. But when you think about like the decisions are ultimately up to you or like the power in this company is on you. Absolutely not. I, I want nothing to do with that. And I, I think too, it's like, yeah, there's something mentally happening with those people that go for it. I think it's a little delusional. That's just my yeah. personal thing. I think um I think that we all get kind of jaded depending on what role, like what hat we're wearing, you know? Mm-hmm. Like when I'm at work, I'm in work mode. I'm jaded. I'm in work mode. Does that any of that stuff really matter though in the big scheme of things? No. My work mode doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Um, and so it is delusional in my mind. Are you are you aware of the fact that if someone owns their own business, like if they are um, like a LLC or something on mm-hmm. their business cards, they'll put CEO. Do they really? <laughs> Apparently oh that's God. a thing. I heard it called out on another podcast recently. And I was like, that's actually really funny like pat yourself on the back i guess technically you're the ceo but you're also you the are. only employee you're so. the owner <laughs> yeah for my books i think that also goes back to terms like what yes. means more in society ceo yes. or owners yeah because exactly. we're narcissistic asshats <laughs> yeah yeah for my bookstore i put on linkedin that my title is owner operator because at the moment i'm the only employee mm. i am operating all of it myself now when i get other employees i may change i it think to we, just owner but we need to come up with something more creative monica <laughs> definitely like you're the that book, too the book the extraordinaire something like we can call it you know come up with our own acronym but something like major something i know well some yeah. bookstore owners <laughs> just simply say they're booksellers and i'm like that doesn't really show no. that i like have a store you're not a yeah and i don't and have like other a sales and person <sighs> yeah yeah Anyways, um, put like a pin a in that. car salesman, you know, it's <laughs> not the same. It's not the same. <laughs> so um, we can wrap up the, the, the gist of the storytelling with the fact that millennial women hold more bachelor's degrees than men do, yet they've not really achieved true workplace equality. So women's median hourly wage is up, but still only 84% of what men make. Now, that is a much more complicated that is a much more complicated thing than I think the author puts it out to be. There are many right. reasons for that. Women take leave for childbirth. They may miss opportunities at work that other people are going to get. It's complicated. Yeah. I don't agree with it. I think men and women should make the same amount of money, but I, I think there are reasons for it. Um, But women are generally hired less, promoted less frequently than their male counterparts. There's no reason for that. Teen pregnancies have dropped, um, but maternal mortality rates have risen. And so that's kind of more fuel for her book about women should have more autonomy and power over the decisions that they're making about childbirth and then the, the decisions that come after postpartum. The United States remains one of the only developed countries without mandatory paid parental leave. So we've come very far in many ways, but we are still behind in many others. And I think a more balanced way of looking at it is acknowledging the work that people in the past have put in to get us to where we are, but still acknowledging that there's a ton of work to do. And like Mm -hmm. you said, not much has improved. We may just call it different things or slap a different different label on it or balance misogyny with also putting women of all different body shapes in your campaign ads like it doesn't fix mm-hmm. the larger problem it feels like a band-aid yeah when you really dissect it and that's kind of yeah that's kind of what i was left feeling with was just like oh and i already kind of feel that way in general just that 
we've we've definitely sheltered people with flowery terms and placing these band-aids on things to make people feel superficially better or more comfortable for a short period of time but in the long run is it really fixing anything like you were getting at mm-hmm. um and i don't know i think yeah it's important to know where we've made progress but there were definitely you know um they definitely she definitely mentions women in the workplace. I think that there's still some ridiculous pressures on women when it comes to being mothers and employees or workers Mm -hmm. um, in positions of power or not, just in general. Um, I think the pressure now for women to work, like it's, it's, even more, I would say. it could, Because it's more acceptable for women to work now, it's an expectation for women to work. And that impacts the family model. That impacts everything. But also um, not providing the resources that women need to do exactly. that. I know too many women or who for have your pumped, family. Exactly. Who have pumped in a closet at work because there's yes. not even like a mother room. Yes, like, or have to in the bathroom. To make it yeah. happen. Yeah, agree. I think another, uh, another great point and something that... Um, I'll end on, I think I've kind of made all my points so far, is the the author talks about nostalgia in general. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's really poignant for our podcast is that she had nostalgia and love for the 90s and really until she started dissecting it. And she was saying that nostalgia comes from thinking back on a period in time and getting a rush of the emotions and the feelings that you had at that point in time. So like we were children in the 90s. Of course, when we think back to the 90s, it's going to be amazing and fun and exciting and colorful because we were kids. And that's where our minds were at. That's what our mindset was. When we go back into that mindset, that's what nostalgia is. It's bringing back the feelings of a time in the past and something that you enjoyed or loved or get some sort of comfort out of. And I think her, her main point was like, don't let nostalgia cover or um, cloud cloud that's the word don't let nostalgia cloud your opinions or views on what happened in the 90s because we still need to work towards a future of gender equality and women's rights and yes there was work done at that time but don't let the nostalgia of how great the 90s were let you overlook the challenges and overlook all of these things we've been talking about, which did happen, but we kind of don't, I don't think of Hillary Clinton. I don't think of Monica Lewinsky in the ways that I maybe should because of the mindset that I had at the time, which is now what I'm kind of going back to as part of nostalgia, if that makes any sense. Well, I think it's also though on that note, important to mention kind of what I was getting at with the, where I read it like a documentary is that she she had an argument in mind when writing this book. It was mm-hmm. a great way to create this book. It it makes art. I, that's that's great. But like you also don't have to look back on this and take everything word for word on how she described that's it. That's true. She yeah. she very much is picking apart. Like for example, she has a section that's called the most hated woman in America, and she's talking about Courtney Love. And that one really struck with me because I was a huge Kurt Cobain and Nirvana yeah. fan as a kid in the 90s. I was huge with huge, 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 huge. And she, the author describes the reasons why Courtney Love was the most hated woman in America. And the reasons that she gives are the is the level of masculinity that Courtney Love showed, that she took up space, that she was loud, and that she was trying to invade rock and roll, which was considered a male-dominated genre. Now, I can tell you, I very much remember why Courtney Love was the most hated woman in America. And, yeah, and it wasn't any, any of, those. of those things. Yeah. Is that she, they thought she killed Kurt exactly. Cobain. So let's exactly. talk about that. But yes. that's not what the author talked about. She had an yeah. agenda in mind. She picked it apart. And I'm True. just highlighting that yeah. so that you understand that this is art. Yeah. It's, it's art. Just like a documentary, when you yeah. watch it, you should walk away and kind of Come up with your own opinion, your own argument, your own what makes sense to you. Yeah. Because what makes sense to me is that Courtney Love killed Kurt Cobain and that's why everybody <laughs> hated her. It had nothing to do with her being a mediocre rock and roller at the time. She wasn't even great in the night. You know what I mean? Like yeah, she wasn't for real. 
she was loud though do you have you seen the interview it was like a red carpet interview where she was like don't ever go to a hotel room with harvey weinstein oh yeah they asked like (laughs) i think the question was like what advice do you have for young women in the entering the field or whatever in hollywood don't ever go to a hotel room with harvey weinstein (laughs) like in the 90s yeah in the 90s when people weren't calling him out or like early 2000s or whatever okay i had one thing she had a whole section on female anger Oh, yeah. And that really hit me because I'm somebody who is like, you know, you could tell on the podcast, like if I have an opinion on something, I'm pretty heated about it. And you're currently on steroids. Way. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, you know, roid rage. But even besides the, the steroids, I'm usually somebody who's pretty uh, emotionally spo- like spoken, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but she argues that the 90s demonized and feared female anger. And that really hit me because I still feel that way. I feel like I've had, I've always been told, um, like I was told by one of my most recent bosses, not my current boss, but one of my most recent ones, um, that I, I needed to present myself more calmly, that I needed to remove all emotion from responses, even if it's something that is like horrible, like they're violating your boundaries or something like that. Like I should be able to present myself calmly. Blaine's never been told that. Yeah. Ever. And doesn't and it I show also... passion and dedication and commitment yes. if you're getting yes. angry about something? Yes. And so I've definitely felt demonized for having an opinion or showing emotion um, as well, a just female, think about I've the also, angry black woman trope. Yes, yes, that yeah, that is definitely something I wanted to comment on because she talks about that as well. Um, I've been labeled aggressive just for having opinions. It, 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 there are things like, and my, I don't feel Blaine's ever been labeled as as aggressive because he had an opinion on something. I've also noticed that if I have a dilemma at work and I go and I talk to Blaine about it, he'll tell me like, "Oh, well, I would say." la 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 and it'll be something that yeah i could go in and say but i'll have consequences for that would he have consequences for that probably not also he's a doctor so they're just like not they're just gonna be like doctor you know (laughs) but for me they're not gonna do that they're gonna be like sit down shut up (laughs) or worse you know are you pmsing why are you so emotional you know it's it's Ah, but yeah, that whole section on female anger definitely drove, you know, it touched a a bit for me. So that's it though. That was my last topic. (laughs) We'll have to save it for another podcast, but I have an entire rant on female menstruation Mm -hmm. and how like shameful and gross and demonized it is in our society. Why can we not just say, sorry, I'm on my period? Like, right. Sorry. Right. I'm not at my best right now because it is a fact. It causes internal like turmoil for me. Um, Like if I'm actually like say something happens and it's close to my period, I'll be like, oh, do I really feel this way? Or is it because of my period? And why do I feel that way? Why am I questioning myself? And I'm questioning myself because society has made this, you know, into they, they put a narrative on it. Like it should just be like, oh, sorry, I have a cold, so I'm not feeling well right now. I'm on my period. I'm not feeling well, right? Like it just should. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, uh, save that rant. It definitely. Well, it definitely touches on. You know, it goes in line with the topic of this book. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I agree. Um. Yeah, I think the author is very opinionated. Um, there are things that I, I think don't she did a great job with. finding things to to fit her narrative. I yeah. think she did a great job at that. Um, but I think it also like you could leave this book feeling victimized as a woman by society. You could leave this book feeling that all of these things were word for word and not understanding that this is someone's perspective. This mm-hmm. is someone's opinion. This is um, yes, there are facts in there and that can be focused on, but you don't have to come you don't have to walk away with the same narrative. Yeah, I th- I think ultimately my takeaway is starting to question why I've built narratives in my head and how mm-hmm. it may have been impacted by yes the new social media yeah. tabloids at the time. Like when you think about Britney like Spears, me not wanting to use the word feminism or yeah. feminist that I'm a feminist, you know, like that's explore that a little deeper, find right. out why, and yeah. And there's definitely societal pressure in that. 
So when you think about Britney Spears, I thought she was crazy and just lost her mind and was a hot mess and was wearing like juicy and no shoes and like not taking care of her children. And then, I mean, recently she's come out with a book. She's starting to dismantle some of that narrative and explain how the media and tabloids and paparazzis had a role in that. I think very similarly, um, Paris Hilton has come out mm-hmm. within the last mm-hmm. 10 years and been like, that wasn't my real voice. That was a character that I played. Yeah. I've played this yeah. character so long. I don't even know who I am anymore. Yeah. I suffered trauma. That trauma has impacted me in these ways. Like People are becoming more aware of the narratives of women in the 90s. And then that sticks with you. Like, obviously, I have to dismantle some of these beliefs. But this book has at least made me kind of approach those beliefs with some bit yeah. of caution of like, what was really happening here? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So worth a read. Like we said, it's it's a, a little dense. It's a lot of information. Um, but I think the author is successful in the work that she intended to do, like you said. Yeah. So we mentioned that we'd be saving our cringe stories for the end of our book episodes. Um, And I actually have one, of course I do, uh, around this topic of the, so our author's first, sorry, most recent book is um, about, it's called Birth Control. It's about women's Mm -hmm. rights over their own birth and then postpartum. So I do have a postpartum story that um, is maybe one of the most mortifying thing that's ever happened to me. So my birth story was scary and stressful and traumatizing and a really difficult end of my pregnancy, a really difficult birth. We ended up with an emergency C-section. I thought I was going to die. I thought she might die. I looked over at one point and Josh was in full scrubs and I was like, oh, oh, this is happening. This is bad. This is going to be bad. <laughs> and they're like, well, we're wheeling you right now to go get a C-section. Anyways, that's all uh, extra information. All you need to know is that I was home post-C-section, lots and lots of bleeding. And after birth, you get really, really constipated. Yeah. I don't know if it's well, a C-section they, thing like with all the, the drugs or... Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Definitely like, stopped so that. constipated. I had I hadn't gone in like legit a week or two so i'm oh postpartum we have, have a newborn so uncomfortable so too uncomfortable. not only like from the c-section but yeah. just pressure taking so much meds for it so so many things for my constipation i don't know why i can't tell you why i'm gonna have to ask josh because i don't know what our mindset was but we had to do all of our plumbing in our house we had a 1965 house oh, yeah 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 it was all cast iron. It was leaking. There was this weird, there was this weird situation that happened. Like the way that our pipes were, if you flushed the toilet, sometimes toilet paper and what I assume is like toilet water would flush Sewage. up out of the connector that the the clothes washer had. So like there was a pipe from our house going out of yeah. the house, right? Like from our bathroom out of the house that connected to the pipe that was feeding water into our clothes washer and sometimes the pressure or the lines or whatever would get mixed up and like you would see toilet paper in my laundry room it would flood i'm like disgusted even thinking about what kind of water that was right we had to get it fixed so i'm postpartum a week or two josh hires a company to come in redo all of our plumbing it's not super convenient Um, We have a newborn. I'm postpartum. I don't know why we chose that timing, but it happened. And um, I finally took a shit. Oh, no. The day that they were there. So I'm bleeding everywhere. There's blood coming out of me. I'm bleeding everywhere. I had the largest constipation, constipation shit I've ever had in my life. And I flushed the toilet, not thinking that. They have disconnected all of our pipes. The water's shut off. There's guys downstairs in our basement garage area, and it just flushes right onto them. Oh, my God. My C-section blood, my postpartum constipation shit, all 
over all these of guys. Your insides, basically. All of my insides were outside and on these guys. And they no. were pissed. They were yelling from the basement, like, what are you doing? Yelling at me, so angry, and immediately left. Just like stormed off, got in their truck and left. And we were like, are they coming back? Like, what what is happening? I felt so bad, so mortified. They came oh, back like an hour no. later. I think they went home, showered. It was just a couple guys. Went home, freshened up, came back in like fresh oh. gear, a new shirt, completely yeah. clean. Yeah. Clean. And finished the work. But I cannot imagine being in a job no, where you could not- get <laughs> no. that flushed onto your head. And they told us multiple I times, don't flush. I it's I just, it's a habit. It's like you go and then you flush. Like, Oh, ha- no, it would have happened to me too. And you yeah. were like all drugged up and post-op. Yes. And yeah, no, you were Just so thinking. thrilled that it finally happened. Yeah, you're just like, yes, I'm going to clear myself. <laughs> it was a mic drop moment. It was like flush. And then it was like, shoo, and I heard it. It was, it was so bad. It was so bad. No. Yeah. God, poor Monica. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I remember texts that come back you. to haunt you forever. And you were like, "Are they still there?" And I was like, "Yes, they're still here. They have to finish." <laughs> I would have totally puked down there, and then you would have had shit and puke all yeah. up in your basement because there's no way they handled that very well. I know, you know. I know. Well, and I I handled it pretty well. I think so. I was all drugged up. I was just like, "Well, that sucks." oh gosh so if you have a cringe 90s story or story about postpartum apparently send it to (laughs) us at 90skidbookclub at gmail.com we're also on all the socials so look us up at that same 90s kid book club tag Um, please rate review subscribe like follow whatever your buttons say on the podcast app that you're using we're on all of them Um, send us a a review we want to hear more about what you like um, what's working also it helps others find us and know a bit about who we are and what we do um, join our Patreon if you want any exclusive bonus content. We do film reviews for any of the books that we cover, uh, TV or film adaptations. But I think that's it for this month's book review. So we will see you next time. And TTYL. Bye. Bye. Bye.